During his ministry, Jesus talked about a lot of things, but one subject that came up with a bit more frequency than anything else had to do with money. Of course, back in Jesus' day, economics, what counted as money, how people saved money or made money, all of it was very different than today. But one thing that has stayed the same throughout history is the sin of greed and its undue fixation on wealth. It's not surprising then that matters related to money and property cropped up in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Today on Groundwork, we'll see what Jesus had to say. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, we are nearing the end now of our six-part series on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is program number five now of the six. We've already covered a lot of ground, the Beatitudes, Jesus' teaching on the law, words about prayer, including Jesus' most famous prayer of the Lord's Prayer, which was the previous episode in the series. So today we're coming, um, in terms of the chapters anyway involved, we're kind of coming to the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So let's go to Matthew 6 starting at verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So, uh, Daryl, here is one of many places in the Gospels where Jesus warns about the perils of loving money and possessions too much. And the first thing Jesus says is straightforward enough. One of the reasons not to set your heart on earthly treasures is they're vulnerable. Right. Uh, they can be destroyed. Now, when we think of our earthly treasures today, we think about banks and investment portfolios and property maybe and so forth, stocks, bonds. And those things aren't usually imperiled by a moth or a rat. So I think maybe we have some idea of what constituted uh, wealth in Jesus' day by virtue of the fact that they are vulnerable to moth and rat. <laughs> it's interesting how Jesus makes the connection from treasure to heart mm. in this passage. And he also knows that the propensity of the human heart to store up material things. Mm. And so he addresses those things. But I mean, the moss and the vermin and things of that nature you talked about, they're digital these days. <laughs> yeah. But back then they were much more tangible. And he wanted us to make sure that we understood where their appropriate place should be. I mean, we do still have some possessions that a moth or a rat could ruin. But uh, as you say, we're more familiar with the other things Jesus says, thieves, right? Robbery, right? And you just said digital. Today, we know there is identity theft. People go online, they get your social security number, they get your credit cards, your bank routing numbers, uh, and they steal from you that way. And of course, there's good old-fashioned robbery, right? Your house gets broken into, somebody rips off something out of your car or out of your locker at school. Among the reasons the treasures of earth are vulnerable is they can be destroyed, you can lose them, they can be stolen from you. 
Now, it's important, Daryl, I think, that we point out at this point that when Jesus says, don't set your heart on them, that's not to say you won't have anything in the first place, right? Jesus recognizes that we do need food. We need to be able to provide for our children. We need to be able to give things away uh, to help uh, the poor and others. So it's not as though we don't have money or possessions. The trick is, don't put your heart on them, Jesus says. So what we found based on Jesus' teaching is not that your money goes away, but that it actually is a better servant than it is a master. Right. So Jesus is saying you can't have two masters. If you make God Hmm. and money your master, you're going to either love one and despise the other or you're going to actually betray the other. So let's do our best to make sure that money doesn't become our master, that all our time, our energy, our resources aren't going and how much money we're going to make, how much we're going to. Because if we get into that, that's how greed starts to set into our hearts. And probably one way to try to check our hearts, right, to make sure we haven't crossed that line into uh, letting, as you just said, the servant money become our master, is something we come to a lot here uh, on Groundwork, Daryl, and that is gratitude. Yeah. If you are grateful to God for everything you have, that's one way to keep your perspective in plumb, right? It's one way to make sure, hey, my real treasure is God in heaven. Not my bank account, not my stocks in the, in the stock market. I'm grateful for what God has given because God is number one in my life. You know what's beautiful about gratitude, Scott, is that gratitude has a long memory. It remembers what God has already done mm. and what God is currently providing. Right. So if it pays attention to that, that's a, actually an excellent way to store your treasure there. Right. Because if you thank God for what God is doing or has already done, it literally stops you wanting other things. It actually gives you what is a contentment. And I think Paul, when he was writing in prison, he talked about the secret of being content in whatever the circumstance, good, bad, or indifferent. And he felt he could do all things through Christ because he found a way to be grateful for what God had been doing, preserving his life. He's given us life, health, strength, food, clothes, shelter. He continues to be a providential father, and we can thank him for that. Exactly. And before we leave these verses in this part of the program, one other thing. We dig into Scripture, and sometimes it's a lot of fun to dig into Scripture because you find something you didn't know before. And I found that to be true in these verses through something I learned from my colleague at Calvin Seminary, Mariano Avila, in a class he and I co-taught a few years ago. Because in the middle of these verses in Matthew 6, uh, verses 19 to 21, talk about treasures on earth. And then 24 talks about you can't serve God and money. But then right in the middle there, in verses 22 and 23, Jesus seems to change the subject. And now all of a sudden he's talking about the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is healthy, then your body's full of light. If your eye is unhealthy, your body's full of darkness. It's like, what's that got to do with money? Well, it turns out, uh, Professor Avila pointed out to me, it has a lot to do with money because in Jesus' day, what Jesus talks about, if your eye is bad, he says, that's an evil eye. And an evil eye in Jesus' day belonged to a greedy and stingy person, which is really, really interesting. In fact, it comes up later in Matthew 20 in the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Remember, Daryl, the, the owner pays the one-hour workers the same wage as the 12-hour workers, yeah. and the 12-hour workers get all you know unhappy and grumpy, and the master says, hey, why are you giving me the evil eye? Oh, yeah. What is it to you if I'm generous with my money? So it turns out. This eye of the lamp of the body stuff in Matthew 6, it's still about 
greed. So then actually we need to ask God to give us a new eye or either pluck that one out based <laughs> right. on the teaching we got on the, uh, exactly. in, after this section, who talks about if your eye causes you to sin. And I believe that we can continue to allow God to help us in the way that we give our eye to people. Hopefully that eye is full of light, but we're going to continue to dig deeply into this scripture for some more teaching on Sermon on the Mount. So stay tuned for that. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. Well, we've got a lot to cover uh, in this next part, so let's get right into it, Daryl. Sort of right in the middle of Matthew 6, starting at verse 25. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. These things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So these are, for a lot of us, uh, pretty familiar words. And the bottom line is easy. Don't worry. Food, drink, clothing, any other everyday concern you might name, Daryl, Jesus is saying it's in God's hands. Uh, birds don't worry because God feeds them. Um, and at my house out in the country, I can tell you God feeds them through me. And they're walking away with a lot of my money, those birds. But it's good to feed them. Flowers don't worry. God's decked them out with the fashion better than anything uh, in Paris or New York. So seek first God's kingdom. That's the main thing. You know, I think in this passage where he talks about the things that are necessities, right. food, clothing, water. They're not um, and, and they are important, but the essence of the problem is that we're worrying about mm. them. And when you worry, it actually means you're not trusting in your providential right. father who takes care of these created things and you are much more valuable than they. To not trust in God's ability to provide is the problem of worry. And that comes from fear. And I don't think this passage is saying, oh, well, don't worry, be happy, Hakuna Matata. It's not saying that, but it is saying that there is something more important to focus on, which is the kingdom of God and how he does things and how he takes care of his children. 
And what does it mean to seek the kingdom? Well, it's everything Jesus has been talking about so far in the Sermon on the Mount. It's leaning into the Beatitudes. It's seeing the deep application of the law and how God wants us to be changed in our hearts. It's praying to God on a regular basis, which we saw in the previous episode in this series. All of those are kingdom hallmarks instead of running around and just worrying all the time and making yourself just sort of a blur of activity to feather your own nest when God says, look, I got your back. So I think that's important. One thing we sometimes miss, though, is the rather surprising way this ends, because Jesus says each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow, because each day has enough trouble of its own. I didn't expect Jesus to end this section that way. So when we took preaching courses at Calvin Seminary, we would get marked down if we left the sermon hanging like this. <laughs> Jesus is not a part of preaching classes and the way he taught was the way he did it intentionally and impactfully. And he wanted them to know that you don't have enough bandwidth to worry about today's trouble and tomorrow's trouble too. You actually only have bandwidth to worry about what's going on today or not be worrying in general as in not trusting God and his providence but actually pay attention to and take notice of being fully present today and not worry about what's going on in the next day. So we need to make sure that we keep our bandwidth focused on what we have right in front of us. Yep. But I would have expected Jesus to say, the reason you don't need to worry about tomorrow is because it'll be just as great as today, right? I mean, you sort of expect Jesus to say, look, you're, you're sunk neck deep in blessing today. I mean, don't worry about tomorrow. You're just so blessed. He doesn't say that. He says, no, you're sunk neck deep in trouble already today. So don't worry about tomorrow. You know, God's got both. So Jesus is being, I think, really realistic. Jesus is saying, look, I know life isn't always easy. I'm not telling you not to worry because your life is easy. I'm telling you not to worry because I know your life isn't easy. But you got to trust me and we got to work together. I think that's amazing. There, because again, I would have half expected Jesus to say, You're so blessed. You know, why worry about tomorrow? Today is great, isn't it? Isn't today great? No, he says, No, today's bad. He doesn't say it's evil, right? right. Uh, he uses the Greek word kakia, which means badness or something that's a little nettlesome, Kakos, yeah. not porneia, which is world class evil. But he's just saying, Look, sometimes life is tough, it's disappointing. I get it, but seek first the kingdom anyway. And I think it's beautiful that you call Jesus a realist because he doesn't want us to look at the world with rose-colored glasses right, right. and just pretend nothing is happening. It's not a Pollyanna pie-in-the-sky deal. Life is hard, and we need to learn how to walk with God in the mountain high and the valley low mm, of exactly. our life. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death, trusting in our providential Father who saw us through yesterday, who's going to see us through today and tomorrow because he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So we get to trust him even when we can't trace him. We get to trust him when we don't even see that next provision coming. It's a way to follow him in faith. Which is good news. This is the realism of Jesus admitting that each day has enough trouble of its own is beautiful, as you just said. And it's hopeful to me because if I thought that the only time I could seek first the kingdom of God, as Jesus says we must, if I thought the only time I could do that is when every duck was in a row, when everything in my life was settled and smooth, there aren't a lot of days then I would think I could seek first the kingdom because I don't have too many days where all my ducks are in a row and I don't have any trouble or anything, you know, that's nettling me. Most days, as Jesus said, most days do have enough trouble of their own. That's okay. 
that doesn't mean Jesus isn't there. That doesn't mean the kingdom isn't seekable, right? For me, Daryl, his ending this section by saying each day has enough trouble of its own or sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, as the old King James used to say, that's hopeful to me. It's beautiful because it gives us the opportunity to trust him in all circumstances. And we need to learn how to trust him in days when things are going great and in days when things are not going great. Because seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness only means you need to go back through these teachings that Jesus is saying in the earlier parts of this chapter and put it into practice because that's what God requires of us. And in just a moment, we're going to turn our words to Matthew 7 and wrap up the rest of the program. So stay tuned. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork. We've been spending some time here uh, somewhere near the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, even though this is the second to the last program of our series. So Jesus has been talking about, I think, Daryl, what we could call everyday concerns, money, property, food, drink, clothing, the stuff we need to live day to day. And God wants us to know he's got it. Jesus is saying it's in God's hands So let him take care of that, and you seek first the kingdom. You live a kingdom life. If we live according to the way God calls us to live, then we need not worry about the things that he's going to provide. That's in his department anyway. And we need to focus on our relationships and honoring and obeying him and doing what he commanded us to do. And so when Jesus goes into this final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to continue to keep it early. He's going to continue to keep it practical. But then these are things that actually cropped up in Jesus' day. So it says here in chapter 7, Do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be used to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So here's a classic passage, and uh, there's a vivid image here that we'll get to in a second. But Daryl, one thing that a lot of us have experienced at one time or another in our lives is somebody lobbing Jesus' words, do not judge at us, right? And we're not talking about, you know, being at a restaurant, you judge that the hamburger wasn't very good. No, I mean, it's usually if you say something like, you know, Jill, I think the way you treated that other guy earlier today wasn't very Christ-like. Or, you know, George, every time you post something on Twitter, you come off as proud and arrogant. Or, you know, I know you like that preacher on TV, but I think his sermons are way out of bounds and they don't contain any hope or grace, right? It's when you say stuff like that, that some of your friends might say, hey, now watch it there, Scott. Remember, Jesus said, do not judge. I don't think that's quite what Jesus meant. 
I think that statement is a catch twenty two because you're judging me to tell me I'm judging. <laughs> yeah, right. It's kind of really it's really a circular argument, but I think that you're getting at something when we confront a person or when we try to speak the truth in love, then some people will not receive it well and consider it to be a judgment. And that is not what Jesus is getting at. I think that if we think about how our hearts are connected to what Jesus is teaching, then we need to think about, is it an arrogant attitude? Is it a proud attitude? Or is it a self-righteous attitude which we come out like, you got to be like me or you got to do it this way or else you're wrong. If we have that kind of attitude, I think this is what Jesus is getting at because that same attitude will come back to us and not give us any mercy. Measure for measure. If you go around in life making snap judgments on people, don't don't be surprised if they return the favor, right? I mean, that's just, you know, uh, it's going to come back to bite you too. And then, of course, Jesus has the famous hyperbole here. It's hilarious if you think of it literally. You got a five-foot-long two-by-four sticking out of your own <laughs> eye. It's a problem in your life. And then you see a brother who's got a speck of sawdust, and you're going to say, I'm going to get that sawdust out of your eye. Jesus says, wait a minute, you got a two by four sticking out of your head. Take care of that first, and then you can help your brother. So Jesus is getting at hypocrisy. It's like when you wear a mask and you pretend to be someone that you are not. And he wants us to take all masks off when we come to him and when we live a life representing him. We don't want whatever we try to create as righteousness to actually make us want to correct folks out of the wrong attitude and spirit. So then it's literally the pot calling the kettle black, to use a cliche. If you say, I need to help you with that. But if you struggle with that same thing, maybe you're not the best person to help address that issue. You might want to have someone else do that. But you got to also have an ounce of humility. When you ignore the plank in your eye, you're not walking in humility in, in order to help someone else either. Exactly. But the important point here, again, to get back to the, you know, those who say that, oh, well, Jesus says never judge. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Notice Jesus says, if you do get the plank out of your own eye, now it's go to your sister or your brother and help them with their sawdust, right? He doesn't say once you get the plank out of your own eye, you're done. Then don't worry about the other people in your life. No. He says, once you've gotten rid of hypocrisy, once you've actually addressed the problem that you have, maybe even bigger than your sister had, now go help that person. So again, the whole point of this is not to say, never, ever, ever judge. Never, ever take sawdust out of a sister's eye. No. Do it cautiously, with humility, but do it. (laughs) So judge carefully, but do judge. Judge carefully, judge with humility, judge with understanding that we're all standing under the shadow of grace that is under the cross. And if we understand that we have been forgiven much, then we can love Mm -hmm. much in situations where it needs love. So we really need to do a little bit of self-examination to see the plank in our eye. And sometimes we think someone is talking about a speck in our eye when they're actually helping us to see we have a plank. So not Mm, only do we need to give, but we need to receive correction and and reproof out of a spirit of love. They're trying to help me. They're not trying to attack me. They're not, quote unquote, hating on me. But they actually are trying to encourage me and spur me on to good works. I should be able to receive as much as I can give. 
Exactly. And the issues involved might be the very things Jesus talked about that we looked at earlier in this program. If somebody seems to be serving money, if somebody seems to be hung up with greed, if somebody is not living out the Beatitudes, all of these things are worthy of conversation. So how might we sum up the part of the Sermon on the Mount that we looked at today on Groundwork? Seek first the kingdom of God, right? Keep the kingdom and keep the kingdom's king first in our hearts always. Don't let money eclipse God. Don't let greed eclipse God. Don't let worry eclipse God. Make God all in all. And seeing that Jesus himself is the embodiment of this kingdom that we're seeking, he is the kingdom spokesperson. He's introducing us to the kingdom. He himself was the perfect balance between truth and grace. And the way he lived is the very kingdom of God that he is talking about. So if we trust him and we follow him and we put into practice those things, then we will honor God in everything we do. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we study Jesus' final warnings that conclude his famous Sermon on the Mount. Connect with us now at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information and to find more resources to encourage your faith. We're your host, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. 